This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. Welcome. Today's episode is about Bolivia. My name is Mark Elliott Stein, and I'm the Director of Technology and Social Media for World Beyond War, a global grassroots network advocating for the abolition of war and its replacement with an alternative global security system based on peace, nonviolence, and demilitarization. I'm joined today by David Swanson, co-founder and executive director of World Beyond War, sitting in for my usual co-host, Greta Zaro. We have two special guests today, Medea Benjamin and Yvonne Velasquez. Medea Benjamin is a co-founder of Code Pink and one of the leading peace activists in the world. She traveled to Bolivia last month to help call attention to its current leadership crisis and the effects of this crisis on its vulnerable populations. We're looking forward to hearing from Medea about what she experienced during this journey. Ivan Velasquez is an economist and a professor at Mayor San Andres University. He is coordinator in Bolivia at Conrad Adenauer Foundation. Among his several publications is the 2016 book, Peace and Conflict in Bolivia, which he co-authored with World Beyond War's own new director of education, Phil Gittins. As an economist who's done significant research into the roots of conflict in Bolivia, Ivan is uniquely positioned to help us understand a nation and a society that many of us around the world rarely hear about. Great to have you all here. I am I'm very honored to be with three very serious peace builders here. Medea, can you tell us what led you to travel to Bolivia last month and what you witnessed there? I have been very encouraged over the years by the government of Evo Morales and how it has been successful in giving in a voice to the indigenous people and lifting millions of people out of poverty. And when I saw that there was a reversal of not only his presidency, but potentially of all the gains that had been made during his 14 years in office, um, I was very worried about that and decided to go down to Bolivia to see for myself. Can you describe what you witnessed there, what you experienced? Yes, I was there when um, people were rising up against the new government that they considered a coup government and were setting up blockades along the roads in uh, many of the cities, including the city of El Alto, which is an indigenous majority city uh, outside of La Paz. And there um, they were, as part of a national strike, uh, closing the gas plant uh, to stop the gasoline from getting into the capital city, La Paz. And I was there as people were stationing themselves day and night, 24 hours a day, at those barricades. And then as the shortages were increasing in terms of lack of gasoline into the city, as well as lack of um, some foods that were uh, unable to get to the city because of the barricades, the government decided to attack the protesters. And we were there as the people were being tear gassed and shot and um, taken into makeshift uh, clinics to try to save their lives and the pain and suffering of the indigenous community as they were losing their loved ones, including people who were just walking by on their way to work, not even part of the protest. And then I also saw indigenous people from around the country who were doing daily marches in the capital in La Paz and were met with uh, repression, uh, tear gas. Uh, and after that massacre that I mentioned outside the gas plant called Sankata, uh, the next day when the indigenous community was doing a funeral procession down to La Paz, um, they were also attacked violently by the military. And so I witnessed that kind of violence day after day. I also went um, for several days in a row to the uh, jail in La Paz 
to talk to people whose loved ones had been picked up, oftentimes uh, just part of being kettled and thrown into jail uh, with no access to a judge, uh, with terrible conditions, and the families who were extremely poor and had come in from the rural areas uh, sleeping outside the jail because they had nowhere to go. And then I also visited the National Palace and the, um, the Assembly to talk to elected officials and members of the new government. And so I feel that in a short amount of time, I did get a chance to hear various perspectives, but also saw how people were suffering uh, when they uh, got up to protest. Well, thank you. Yvonne, can you tell us what led you to become an economist with a focus on peace building and what led you to write Peace and Conflict in Bolivia in 2016? Uh, first of all, thank you to you to invite me to this podcast. And well, peace is a matter of concern to all of us. Empirical evidence suggests that peace is correlated with growth and economic stability. While the more peaceful country is, the better its economic performance and development. The theme of peace and the construction of dialogue for peace is undoubtedly one of the important pillars in Bolivia of the international cooperation. And it is one of my research topic because it's related with poverty and inequality issues. I should say that Latin America in general and Bolivia in particular is uh, characterized by a growing conflict in the different strata and institutions of society. Empirical evidence highlights the fact that less conflictive societies have a tendency to grow more and better. Moreover, I do agree that peace building is beyond state reforms that guarantee economic development, uh, governance, or access to justice. It is necessary to generate a culture based on truth and reconciliation by understanding the dispute and the culture uh, of debate as civic weapons, not confrontation for the growth and development of the society. In general, Bolivia, since its return to democracy in 1985, has registered a significant number of conflicts. According to several research, the social conflict has a defining equidistance with economic growth. And in the absence of social conflict, a society is expected to fight to have a higher levels of economic growth. The presence of social conflicts such as uh, blocking roads and disturbs erodes the circuit of market economy. In Bolivia, social conflict affects business competitiveness, paralyzes the productive apparatus, increases expenses, reduces incomes, losses markets, reduces investments, increases the risk country condition, uh, increases unemployment and generates many other harmful effects which end, uh, end up reducing economic growth and that is the case uh, in Bolivia or that is the case of Bolivia. And with, doc, uh, with Dr. Giddings decided to make a research of three topics, peace, conflict and culture of peace uh, starting from education. And in general, there is no such research in the Bolivian national literature with these characteristics. Therefore, this fact highlights the importance uh, of this publication. What is your view of the current political crisis in Bolivia and the events that Medea was speaking about a moment ago? Well, I should say that today Bolivian authorities are under pressure to deliver a free and fair election after Evo Morales' government collapse amid protests and claims of electoral fraud. How did a crisis start? Anti-government protests have their roots in civil unrest triggered by a failed referendum to expand presidential term limits. A move seen by critics as a ploy by Morales to hold, to hold on to power. Despite his uh, failure to secure a legally viable route to run 
for the presidency again, he decided to do so anyway. That election went uh, ahead on October 20. However, electoral authorities stopped issuing incremental updates to the vote count midway through the process, triggering concerns of electoral fraud. The authority then declared Morales the outright winner, saying he won a, a 10 percentage poll lead, effectively preventing a run of vote. Protests erupted the day after the vote, drawing hundreds to the streets in La Paz at first and then tens of thousands in the following weeks. At least three people have, them, have been killed and hundreds more injuries in clashes with the police at the first weeks of the problems. Now, who are the main players? Evo Morales is at the center of the crisis. He became Bolivia's first indigenous president in 2006, but he only speaks Spanish, non-indigenous language, and ruled the country until November 10. His presidency was characterized by leftist policies, corruptions, and waste of money. On the other side, reduced extreme poverty by conditional transfers and diverted revenues from natural resources to indigenous communities. Carlos Mesa, who served as Bolivian president from 2002 and 2005, led the opposition. The center-right politician has accused electoral authorities and Morales of stealing the vote. He called on Morales to resign and stay stand down from running for the presidency. Why did Evo Morales resign? Moments after the Organization of American States released a report alleging gross manipulation of elections computer systems, Morales announced fresh elections and voted to reform the electoral commissions, the electoral commission. Hours later, heads of the military and police suggested and demanded Morales step down in a bid to end deadly civil unrest. Morales then announced his resignation from his native coca-growing region, region, with some describing the military's intervention as a coup death. Subsequently, Morales headed to Mexico, where he has granted asylum. Now he is in Argentina. What will happen next? Uh, Bolivia will now to move forward with the new presidential elections. However, it is unclear whether Morales uh, will be uh, uh, in the contienda and, and Mexico and, and, and Argentina provide asylum to Morales uh, and, and now he's, uh, he's in Argentina. Medea, do you agree with that analysis of how we got to this point and, uh, and what's happening now? Uh, no, I don't. I see it very differently. Uh, I think that when um, the Organization of American States uh, said that there were irregularities, we should, one, recognize that 60% of the budget of the OAS is given by the United States and the OAS has a history of being pro-U.S. interests and uh, against those countries that are more progressive. I also think that even though Evo Morales said, okay, um, if you say there's irregularities, let's hold new elections, that wasn't good enough. And he was told by the military uh, that he should leave. When the military gets involved in an electoral situation, um, that is usually called a coup. Uh, I also think that Ivan has not fairly characterized uh, what happened under the 13 years, 13 plus years uh, of Morales's time, which is pretty remarkable. If you look at the World Bank statistics, you'll find that about half of the 10 million Bolivians benefited from the programs that were put in place to not just combat poverty, but improve public health and education. And Bolivia has been or had been praised throughout the world as a country that had done incredible things to lift people out of poverty and also to give a voice to the indigenous community 
that has been so marginalized for over 500 years since the Spanish colonization. Um, so you had a situation where Bolivia was doing extremely well, except that a small group of elite people did not like that the, uh, he had nationalized some of the resources. And also there are Bolivians of European descent who were very unhappy that indigenous people had found a voice uh, that they were inside the, not only the presidency, but also in the Congress, in the cabinet, uh, and for the first time in hundreds of years, were actually making policy. So I think this was a coup that was planned in advance. The opposition had said that they weren't going to recognize the elections uh, even before they happened. The irregularities that were found by the OAS have been refuted by many sources, including the Washington, D.C.-based Center for Economic and Policy Research, Latin American groups like the Strategic Center for Geopolitics, um, letters signed by 115 economists and statisticians. So I, I think that um, this was definitely a preordained coup. And another thing that's important to look at is that this new government unleashed a wave of not only the repression that I talked about when we first got on, but racism with the coup leader Luis Camacho saying that Pachamama, meaning the indigenous view of Mother Earth, uh, was now out and the Bible was in. Um, there were burning of the Wipala, the indigenous flag, police that were cutting it off of their uniforms. And this was seen as a tremendous sign of disrespect and also of um, the revenge that the white uh, European descendants were taking out on the indigenous population. And this is something of great concern, not only to people in Bolivia, but indigenous people throughout the Americas and even in the United States, where there are indigenous groups that are sending delegations to see what's going on and to show their solidarity with the indigenous community in Bolivia. I see two things that have been discussed. One, Yvonne, when you described Morales's government as left, left-wing, I'm wondering to what degree the conflict that we're seeing in Bolivia right now is left versus right, as we understand it, as opposed to indigenous versus, as Medea said, white. And I see two vectors of conflict. So um, Yvonne, you may have already wanted to, to respond to what Medea says, but I'd love to frame my question in that, in that way, in terms of what are the roots of this conflict beyond Morales? What are the historical cultural roots? And, and with that, how would you respond to what Medea is saying? Okay, I mean, Bolivia will never be again the same country after and before Morales. Indigenous people who are the majority of the people, vulnerable groups will not permit that a new government uh, will uh, be against them. Let me talk about economic and political and socioeconomic situation in Bolivia. Since 1985, uh, we have 30, uh, 37 years of democracy in, our, in my country. The Evo Morales period can be largely characterized as one of continuity of economic stability and bonanza. And that was really good for, for my country. President Morales in office since 2006, re-elected in 2014, with more than 60% of the vote for a term that ended this year. The president's party, Movimiento al Socialismo, has held of a two-thirds of majority in Parliament since 2009. Opinion polls show it, Morales and his government continuity to receive uh, high approval ratings before the election on October. Despite the dramatic fall in global commu com community prices, on which Bolivia's economy crucially depends, the economic situation has remained remarkable stable particularly in comparison of some Bolivian neighbors. Overall, no substantial changes have been recorded on the economic uh, perspective. 
Notwithstanding, recent developments suggest that the economic growth and political stability of recent years, historically exceptional, is coming to an, is coming to an end. In February of 2016, the government uh, narrowly lost a referendum that intended to relax presidential, presidential terms limits in order uh, to enable Morales and his vice president, Alvaro Garcia Linera, to run again in 2019, this year. This defeat marked the first time that the mass government has lost a national referendum. Given the opposition's persistent weakness and fragmentation, the referendum result exposed a gradual erosion of the broad social-political alliance that has sustained the mass government as well as winning uh, support for Morales. More generally, the referendum's outcomes was a positive sign for Bolivian democracy. It has demonstrated that political outcomes remain fluid and that the government accepted a defeat. Of concern, however, on December of 2016, decision by, by the mass to nonetheless push for Morales renew candidacy. And the government again attempted to amend the constitution in order to push for a blatantly unconstitutional reinterpretation of existing law. A declining prices of Bolivia's most important export goods hydrocarbons and minerals is straining both economic growth and public spending. A severe drought which exposed serious administrative problems in the water sector has uh, exacerbated this challenge. Deficits in both the current account and fiscal budget emerged during the last five years, resulting in striking international reserves and growing the public sector debt. The mass government modernization strategy combines a state-led, socially inclusive development characterized by high levels of public investment and active social policy with counter-cyclical macroeconomic policies. Even if, if foreign reserves remain relatively high, external debt is not moderate. Uh, we have a high historical debt and economic growth is not robust anymore. This neo-developmentalist strategy is subject to growing pressure. In addition, the government's capacity uh, uh, to respond to social protests before the election with public expended has been significantly compromised. While this development, what, while these developments have increased political and economic uncertainties at the macro level, in recent years have been overshadowed by a myriad of single issues, like labor-related and or local conflicts. These conflicts have pitted the government against individual social, indigenous or regional organizations that have traditionally supported Morales and the mass. Such conflicts have at times involved violent clashes, but today the Morales government, the, the last uh, Morales government has managed to prevent a broader esca es escalation of anti-government protests only until before the October presidential polls. In response to that, I'm curious, Medea, what is your perception of the degree to which the um, latest events in Bolivia are influenced by outside nations, outside parties, outside organizations. To what degree was this a, does, do, does the Bolivian government have self-determination? I should add some context here. Dia was very involved in um, the Venezuelan crisis earlier this year. I'm, I'm much more knowledgeable personally about Venezuela than I am about Bolivia. And I know that there was a perception there that outside influence is determining Venezuelan politics. Is there a similar 
dynamic, Medea, do you believe in Bolivia? Uh, yes, the U.S. has uh, not been happy with Evo Morales' government since the time he uh, took um, the presidency. They don't like the nationalization of uh, resources because it goes against corporate interests. They don't like um, Bolivia's uh, being in alliance with other progressive countries in Latin America through the alliance called ALBA. Uh, and uh, the U.S. had been funding opposition. It's curious that the leader of this coup, Luis Camacho, just happens to be in Washington, D.C. right now. In fact, um, we, uh, with a, a group of Bolivians, uh, confronted him yesterday at a place called the Inter-American Dialogue. Uh, but he is making the rounds in D.C. to drum up support uh, for him, and he's announced himself as a candidate for the presidency. It's also important to see that this government that is now in power said that its role is only to set the foundations for uh, new free and fair elections to be um, taking place quite quickly. And instead, what they have done is not only unleashed the police and the military, on the protesters and rounded up hundreds and hundreds of people, thrown them in jail, but has also rearranged Bolivia's foreign policy. For example, cutting ties with Venezuela, sending home over 700 Cuban doctors, who in many cases were the only uh, 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 health professionals that uh, Bolivians in the very rural areas received. Uh, pulled Bolivia out of the regional blocks like Alba and another one called UNASUR, uh, fired most of the ambassadors that had been, been named by Evo Morales, and then cemented relationships with the right-wing governments uh, of Brazil and Colombia, has even reestablished relations with Israel, which you would wonder why that would be a priority uh, for a Latin American country. Uh, but this is to say that they are trying to realign Bolivia very, very quickly um, with a different set of actors, uh, not the progressive nations that Evo Morales had been part of. And so I think the U.S. is a key actor uh, in trying to move Bolivia uh, into its sphere of influence. And um, I'm uh, afraid that we'll see more of the U.S. hand in shoring up this government and setting the stage for this government to come to power through new elections that will not be free and fair elections because um, the fear among uh, uh, members of Evo Morales' party, the party called MAS, um, who have been harassed, uh, held hostage, their houses burned, um, the fear or the, the transformation of the press, uh, which is just amazing to see how quickly uh, this right-wing government took over the press and spews propaganda 24-7 on the uh, major TV and radio stations. Uh, and so with conditions like that, one has to wonder, can there be free and fair elections? And will the United States be uh, propping up a government that will be hated by the majority of the people and will stir up very, very, very dangerous conflict of a, uh, a war that is based on class and on uh, ethnicity with the indigenous community feeling that their uh, rights and their and the respect for their culture uh, has been taken away by this new government. Yvonne, even if we see lots of reasons to complain about Morales and legitimate grievances and unpopularity and issues with how long his term was and his efforts to extend presidential terms, isn't there a problem for peaceful people in how this transition was made? Wouldn't it have been better to have a new election than to have the military tell the president to leave and have the president have to flee to other countries and have the military 
on the streets and have the the accusations about fraud in the election coming from uh, an international body dominated by the United States, uh, having a, an overthrow of government without an election in the interests of, of foreign power. Isn't that a bad precedent for other countries around the world? This is a coyuntura analysis. I mean, the real political problems started before, started in 2009. As the country's first indigenous president, uh, Morales brought both power and visibility and uh, not inclusion to peoples who make up a majority of the country populations, but have always been politically and economically marginalized. But one part of indigenous tradition Morales never truly embraced is a rotation of power and it may have cost him his legacy. While he has reshaping his country he refused to groom for a successor or contemplate his departure. He didn't have any interest in cultivating younger leaders, men or women, men or indigenous, men or women indigenous, who would take over the role and carry it forward. It was a key mistake. If he had a graceful transition from power, we would probably have a new leader from his movement of socialism and people would have writing about the legacy of Morales. He would be considered like Nelson Mandela for Latin America, but was not the case. There were early hints that he might want to stay in power longer than two terms allowed by his constitution, that constitution that was made in 2009. In 2009, he told a crowd, this will be forever. More recently, in 2017, he asked visiting dictator Teodoro Obiang, long-term president of Equatorial Guinea, how he managed to win elections with 90% of the vote. Bolivia's constitutions draw up under Morales sets a two-term limit. His first election victory was discounted from the tally because it came under the previous constitution, allowing him to run successfully for a third term. Soon after, he tried clearly the way for another run at high office with a 2016 referendum, as I talk, to abolish presidential term limits. When voters rejected his proposal in 2016, instead of accepting defeat, Morales brought and won a court case, arguing that term limits violated a human right. Enshrined in the Constitution for Bolivians to run freely for office and choose their leaders. The process cast the first shadow over his legitimacy and fed suspicious among many Bolivians that they might try to tamper with the next presidential elections. There had never been a complaint about any of the electoral processes. It was an unprecedented track record of democracy legitimacy until 2016. The greatest controversy stemmed from the near 24 hour long halt to the vote count when electricity, internet, and the phone supply to election headquarters were cut off. When the count resumed, there had been a drastic and hard to explain change in the trend handed victory to the incumbent, according to the head of the Organization of American State Election Observation Team. The electoral fraud through Morales claim of a first round win into Dove, and as a protest mounted, he eventually agreed to call press elections. 
Medea, what do you make uh, without accepting the the nature of a coup or or discounting that topic uh, of the problem of a government based around a single individual for so many years uh, seeking to continue in power as a single individual for additional years? Is, is there not something that could have been done better there? Oh, of course. And in that, I agree with Yvonne. I think that it was a terrible mistake of Evo Morales to run for the fourth term, uh, to not have groomed somebody in his place. Um, the country would not be in the situation today had that happened. So yes, I think that is somewhere where we can find common ground. Um, but given that, uh, I do think that there was a, um, a preordained uh, plan to get rid of Evo Morales, to try to break and divide uh, his um, party, the movement towards socialism, and to bring Bolivia back into the U.S. sphere. So um, here we are today now with a situation um, where uh, the, the question is, um, is the international gonna, community going to uh, put its sights on Bolivia, demand that there be some real transitional government that can be counted on to set the stage for free and fair elections where people are not living in fear um, and have monitors for those elections that are not the discredited monitors of the Organization of American States um, but ones that uh, really could be counted on, perhaps from the Carter Center or perhaps from the UN. But I also think there have to be international monitors uh, that are organized by non, uh, other non-governmental groups. Um, like ours, Code Pink, we are teaming up with uh, indigenous groups in the US and others to send down election monitors way before the election happens. And of course, we don't know when it's going to happen because the date hasn't been announced, but it will probably be in April. But we have to have uh, lots of international groups going down there beforehand to say um, whether or not there are conditions for these elections. So I think it's important that the eyes of the world beyond Bolivia, I was just in Europe at the European Parliament, where they had been asked to send a delegation uh, to monitor the elections, and uh, they didn't do that. And instead, there was an unofficial delegation that went, and that delegation, uh, members of that one are the ones that I met with, and they said they thought the elections were extremely free and fair, that there was a very credible explanation uh, for why the count from the indigenous community, which came comes in later, uh, would have brought Evo Morales the 10% margin he needed. So, um, uh, and that, that uh, and now the European Parliament is uh, more concerned about sending election monitors the next time around. So I think this is a failure on the part of the international community to allow this to happen. And let's make sure that um, uh, Bolivia is not left alone for the upcoming elections. Let me talk. Let me talk about the election, please. Well, OAS audit uh, of Bolivian elections was presented yesterday, and finds evidence of systematic fraud. The Organization of American States audit into Bolivians' dispute elections leaves little room for doubt that there was a concern and large-scale effort to subvert the vote and deliver victory to the ruling party, Evo Morales' movement to socialism mass. Well, so, Yvonne, can I interrupt you for a minute? Um, and uh, can I ask you, um, really what, what uh, David was asking you, uh, then why wouldn't the opposition have agreed with Evo Morales to hold new elections? because the people didn't know the result, didn't know, for example, the audit, didn't know that the fraud was consistent. And that's well, why- Well, there, there is still doubt. That, 
There is still doubt whether that is the case, and that has been refuted by a number of different organizations and experts who have looked at the OAS report. But in any case, when Evo Morales said that he would agree to the OAS audit, and the OAS said, okay, new elections, the opposition that was determined to get rid of Evo Morales um, would not stop at that. And in fact, uh, having the military, the police refused to guard the palace and then the military uh, asking him to leave um, is part of setting the stage for uh, him to not be in power to oversee the next round of elections. And so I think um, that you have to recognize um, that Evo Morales's term was until January 22nd. He should have been allowed to stay in the country and at least stay in his term until uh, his term ended. He would have opened up a dialogue with the opposition and international supporters to uh, uh, name a new electoral commission. He had said he was willing to do that and to oversee new elections, but instead he was chased out of the country. I mean, let me finish with the audit details that found numerous violations. The auditors broke their findings into four categories. Deliberate actions that sought to manipulate the outcome of the elections. They found grave irregularities where intent could not be proven, mistakes or errors where there was no sign of intent, but which exposed the system to manipulations, and a statistical analysis that allowed the group of auditors to detect anormalities. The report details abundant example of all four when Bolivian authorities suddenly re resumed the vote count after the unexplained hiatus the breakdown of the new votes was different. The audit dismisses the claim by Morales supporters that his happened because the last votes counted the came from heavily indigenous rural areas where Morales is popular. Auditors found that votes from similar areas tallied before the sudden stoppage were less favorably to mass. The auditors pointed the finger of blame directly at individual appointees in the country's electoral authority. The detailed findings reveal the partiality of the electoral authority, says the document. The scrutiners of the Supreme Electoral Tribunal who were supposed to ensure the legally and integrity the process, allow the flow of information to be diverted of external servers, destroying all confidence in the electoral process. It also confirmed that an outside user who controlled a Linux AMI appliance with root privilege, conferring the ability to alter the results, accesses the official vote counting server during the counting. Auditors also found in a sample of 4,692 returns from polling stations around the country, 226 show multiple signature by the same person from different voting votes, a violation of electoral law. Of those returns, 91% of votes went to mass, approximately double the rate recorded elsewhere. Then, and the new Bolivian government has arrested the president of tribunal, Maria Eugenia Choque, and several other officials accused of taking part in the fraud. And what we see with that results, people from the street, young people, women wearing to the street claiming by fraud and asking for new elections. I want to make sure we don't spend a lot of time here covering what has been covered a lot elsewhere. Yesterday to prepare for this, I listened to a podcast from Vox.com 
which really split on the same question we're talking about. Is it a coup? Is it not a coup? We could discuss that. But what makes me gratified to have both of you here is that unlike the Vox.com podcast, we have two people here who know something about Bolivia, <laughs> um, who have direct experience. So if it's okay with you, unless I'm cutting anybody off, I don't think we can spend our time best talking about whether it was a legitimate regime change. I'd like to know what insights we can gain from people who actually know something about Bolivia. So I'd like to ask both of you, and I'm going to start here with Medea. What did you detect from the people you spoke to about how the Bolivian people are feeling about what's going on? What are they hoping for? What are they afraid of? And what we can think about what may happen next based on what you personally experience? And then Yvonne, same question to you. Well, I think there's a lot of fear among uh, many of the union leaders, the farmers groups, the indigenous groups, some of the women's groups. Uh, they don't feel safe. There have been some dialogues with the government uh, that some groups have agreed to participate in, others haven't. Um, there has been a bit of compromise by the government and that they rescinded the law that had been giving impunity to the, um, the security forces uh, in their, quote, pacification. Um, but uh, I think there's also needs to be a recognition that um, while there is division in the party of Evo Morales, the MAS party, there is still quite a lot of organized groups in Bolivia. The, uh, the cocoa growers are extremely organized. Um, the indigenous communities are extremely organized and they are pushing back. So that is something positive in this scenario. Uh, they uh, are determined to try to hold on to the gains that they had made under Evo Morales uh, they are determined to try to um, force the government to uh, release the people who have been detained, to take responsibility for uh, those who have been hurt, uh, to provide compensation to the families of those who have been killed. Uh, all of this is important in a process of trying to um, bring the country back to uh, a state of uh, stability where elections can be held. Um, so I think it's important to support um, those organizations and their efforts to uh, reclaim their rights in this very unstable time. Medea, how do they fight back? You said they're able to fight back. Is this through protest, through publications, through um, social media, through election work? Uh, through many different ways. There's been an Inter-American Commission on Human Rights has been uh, traveling into Bolivia and holding sessions uh, where people are coming to uh, testify about what has happened to them in these past few weeks. Um, and they are uh, holding uh, that commission responsible for um, giving people adequate chance to uh, tell their stories and pushing them on the reporting that they're doing. They have been organizing in their communities to demand the freeing of these people who have been held in detention, getting lawyers, uh, demanding access to judges. Then um, in these dialogues that some of them have been participating in with the government, um, the uh, they have been putting forth um, their demands for the release of all of these prisoners and for the rights of the MAS people who have been outed from the assembly to be able to participate freely. And I, I think that they are also organizing in the international community, in the diaspora. We saw in uh, when uh, Camacho was visiting here, very good organizing by the Bolivian community to show their opposition to uh, the coup and the way things have been unfolding and to be pushing our elected officials, 
going into Congress and talking about the uh, need to uh, stand up against the um, repression that has been unleashed. So those are some of the ways. Thank you. Yvonne, same question. I'd again, I'd like to know how you would characterize the mood on the street, the mood of the people as a whole, and what do the people of Bolivia hope for? What are they afraid of? And what do you think will happen next? Well, what I should say is that succumbing into the social conflict seems to be a permanent itinerary of the Bolivian social plot. Several empirical results about the region of social conflict rest on the phenomenon on unsatisfied social demands, and the elections was the case, that call on board social groups that manifest themselves in the form of social protest and that must pass through the thorny stages and all phases of the social conflict process, birth, development, maturation, and crisis. And that was the case of the conflict that we have uh, after the elections. There is a phenomenon in the Bolivian social conflict that it is extreme correlation with the politics. It is no coincidence that the leading social class is free from political ideology. Uh, social protest is precisely coordinated and conducted by them. Therefore, the phenomenon of social conflict as being linked to political interests, the party systems become diligent in the cooptation of them. Morales certainly holds political responsibility by the conditions underlying the current crisis, after and before the elections, but rather than focusing on his administration culpability, it is now urgent to address the questions of how to safeguard the process of social and economic inclusion that he started. Over the past few decades, Bolivia has transformed in a way that many consider irreversible, but perhaps it was premature to assume that. In recent weeks, there has been a resprouting of racism and intolerance in Bolivia and the rise of the neo-opposition with fundamentalist religious narratives. But in the administration of President Morales, he always talking about white and indigenous, people from left or right uh, uh, points of view. And President Morales, divided the country into two positions. And this should be warning signs for a country and a region where revolutions and counter-revolutions are all too common avenues of political expression. We need, I think, personally, to build roads of union and peace, not of division among Bolivian people and a society finding things that union us, not things that divided us. Mark, do we have any time remaining? Um, actually, I just messaged you, David, that the last question is on you. Go for it. You can close us out. Well, uh, thank you, Mark, and thank you to Yvonne and Medea. Maybe I could ask Medea a question on her way to Cuba. Uh, the argument has been made for many years, I think, that uh, by the Cuban government and the Cuban people, you know, this government needs to be secretive, needs to be oppressive in some ways because of the U.S. threat. Uh, is, that, is that a legitimate argument to apply to countries in Latin America? Is there an anti-democratic influence by the great democracy of the United States? Uh, in its support for these overthrows? Absolutely. I think that any country, especially in what the U.S. considers its sphere of influence, although that tends to be the whole world, but especially Latin America, um, is under constant threat from the United States and from U.S. corporations that, uh, whether you talk about the banana and the fruit companies in Central America, the mining, companies, the 
uh, companies that want um, uh, the oil in the region, the natural gas. I mean, there's been a constant looting of uh, resources and an attempt by the U.S. to put in power governments that are friendly to U.S. corporate interests. So any government that dares to stand up to that is going to face the wrath of the United States, which usually comes in the form of uh, covert wars, of uh, brutal economic sanctions, um, and of support financial as well as all kinds of other support to opposition groups. The fact that the Cuban government is as um, uh, is as controlling as it is is because it has not wanted to be overthrown by the U.S. and become uh, another vassal state. So yes, the U.S. policy makes it very hard to have open, transparent uh, governments that are able to transition easily from uh, one leader to another while keeping a system that's designed to provide for the benefits of its people. And it's very unfortunate that our government plays this negative role. Yvonne, do you agree with that analysis? And what would you like to see the United States government do in relation to Bolivia? And, and feel free to say, do nothing and, and get out or, or, or a different sort of answer. Definitely. I do not agree of the influence of the United States in my country. But it is too early to tell what will happen in Bolivia. But regardless of the outcome, the courageous protests of young people, women, most of them from private and, and public university, neighbors, people from the street against Morales, show that the values of liberal democracy and collective self-determination hold broad appeal, and that authoritarian populists can sustain the legitimacy they derive from their false promises for only so long. When it became painfully evident that Morales was intent on assuming dictatorial powers, even many of his staunchest allies turned, turned on him. And that is why the, last, the latest developments in La Paz should, whatever they result, inspire fear in the hearts of the world populist dictators. We're, we're working toward uh, better understanding and maybe even a little common ground on some of these issues. Uh, and I expect our listeners uh, have learned a great deal from both of you, Yvonne Velasquez and Medea Benjamin. Uh, thank you very, very much for coming on the program. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you so much and have a nice weekend. Thank okay. you to all of you.
thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war.